0: Hello, and welcome to another very special episode of Let Me Explain You a Thing. My name is Andrew, and this is the podcast where I talk extemporaneously on a subject I know a decent amount about. Uh, And I'm in the car, I'm on my way to work. Apologies for any road noise, and apologies if you know me in person. This is probably pretty embarrassing for both of us. Um, Okay, so today... Uh, speaking of embarrassing, um, I thought I'd talk a little bit about a recent interview that I listened to while I was, uh, mixing up some Caesar salad dressing. Uh, made some from-scratch Caesar salad dressing that was pretty neat. First time I've ever made, like, a, an emulsion that worked that I did by hand. I didn't use a stick blender. Um... And I used the anchovies, I, I did the whole nines, uh, it was, it was pretty stinky, pretty spicy, turned out great. Um, anyway, that's a sidebar. Uh, but I was listening to this interview, uh, given by Sheldon Menery, who is often heralded as the godfather of the commander format in magic. Um, uh, and he was giving this interview to the professor who, uh, there's a guy named Brian who, uh, operates the Tulerian Community College, uh, YouTube channel. Which is the largest YouTube channel, uh, for Magic the Gathering, um, on the site. Uh, Brian does, uh, he, he kind of, you know, made his bread, uh, made a, a profile for himself, uh, reviewing, uh, magic accessories, like sleeves, deck boxes, um, play mats, carrying cases, so forth. Um, and he still does that from time to time. A lot of his content, uh, has, has broadened and diversified greatly. Um, he has kind of like a, you know, a podcast, um, he has a gameplay series, he does deck tags, um does a lot primarily product reviews like every new product that comes out he reviews it for you know like gameplay value especially any kind of sealed deck product like talking about commander decks which now come out like eight times a year um so he does a lot of that kind of thing and he's become known as a very vocal critic of magic like from a good place like a a good faith critic um like he clearly really loves magic, and it's a very special thing for him. And you know he's critical of of the some of the cash grabbiness uh, wizards has evinced in especially in recent years. Um, and people really trust his opinion for that kind of thing. Um, I I can say I do. Uh, but yeah, so he you know. In, in, uh, Sheldon's, I believe Sheldon's own words, uh, Sheldon wanted, uh, the professor to really hold his feet to the fire over Commander, uh, and the format. Um, so they, they did. And it's a little backstory. So Sheldon, uh, he kind of was a major advocate and spokesman for, uh, Commander back when it was known more commonly as Elder Dragon Highlander. Commander is kind of the era when Wizards started printing official product for Commander specifically. Um, So Elder Dragon Highlander was kind of the, you know, the indie uh, name for the format um, back in its early days. And it was named for the Elder Dragons of the Legends set. Of which, Nicol Bolas, uh, is, you know, one of them. Um. And, uh, yeah, so the Elder... The the whole idea was you'd take one of these three-color Elder Dragons, which are, like, cost a million mana. They're, like, a 7-7 with, like, some random abilities, and this just excoriating upkeep cost that makes them totally unplayable. But, um... You take one of these big dragons. You would build a deck that was a hundred cards, ninety-nine plus your your commander, your general, as as they were called in those days. Um, and all the cards in the deck had to match your commander's uh, color identity. So, you know, if it was uh, Nicol Bolas, blue, black, red, those were the colors you had to work with. Um, you couldn't like. You know, splash in some, some forests and add some green-black spells. Like, that's, you know... There was a very hard line that, you know, even if it was, like, uh, ha- like an activated ability that costs green on a, a red creature or whatever. Like, even if you weren't planning on using it for the ability, um, which would be suboptimal and weird anyway, uh, you couldn't do it. It, just no mana symbols of that color anywhere on the card. Um, that was the initial rule, and I honestly don't know if Sheldon uh, and his friends truly invented the format, or if if it was like spun out of uh, something they saw somewhere in the old message board days of the internet, or whatever. Um, yeah, the, the parameters of the format, you've got that larger deck, uh, and it's gotta be exactly a hundred cards. You know, we're not talking like, uh, back in the day you'd have, um, or, you know, with a 60 card format, it's just a 60 card minimum. No, you had to have exactly a hundred cards. I don't know why they set their heels on exactly a hundred, but you know, here we are. Um, and additionally you started with 40 life but you had this kind of secret life total of, uh, you could take 21 damage from a single person's commander, combat damage, uh, before you died. And I don't know if that was to, like, more privilege the Elder Dragons to kind of center them as, you know, otherwise, you know, why, why have a general for your deck? What's the point of that? Um, if it's just for the colors, or if it's just for, you know, having this big dumb creature you can have access to. Um, but yeah, and then they, yeah, so commander damage, and you could recast your commander from outside the game any number of times whenever it's removed. You just have to pay its mana cost plus two for each time you've cast it from the command zone before. So you're kind of adding, adding this incremental little tax of two mana, um, every time, but you theoretically always have access to your commander. Um, so that's, that was kind of the initial angle. And then they, you know, I imagine very quickly broadened it to be any legendary creature could be your commander. This was before planeswalkers really existed. Um, yeah, certainly before they existed. and. You know, so Sheldon is a high-level judge, or has been. I think he's he's kind of hung up his hat um, from it. But he judged at high levels at large tournaments, and this really smacks of the kind of format that you bring to a tournament to play with other judges. Um, like, if it's, you know, a, a major event, a weekend-long kind of affair where you travel for it, Uh, Obviously, you're not really, you're not playing Magic during the event, but uh, there's plenty of downtime, like, afterwards or, you know, in the evenings where you might, like, break out some decks and uh, play with people. And there's a... It makes total sense to me that this is the kind of format that would catch on because it's... Like, with a hundred cards, and singleton, I I hadn't mentioned that, but you're limited to one copy of every card, excluding basic lands. Um, So that really kind of forces you to dig deep and pull together a deck with uh, a diversity of options and uh, strategies, perhaps, and cards that might not normally see the light of day especially because we're in a 40 life format nobody's getting like burned out or aggroed to death on on turn three and by the same token you have more opponents so it's not realistic to expend all your resources doing that um so yeah like you know you'd see a lot of like seven and eight mana big dumb spells that are unplayable in, in any other format Um, and I think because of those charms, Commander started to catch on. I first heard about it on some... some message board in, like, the late 2000s. Um, yeah, I want to say it was, like, probably... Oh, eight. Around then. Yeah, around, like, Shards of Alara. And, uh, Shards just happened to be a great set for it because you had a lot of three-color Commanders. So, like, I had a... I built a a deck around, initially around Jacques Levert, which is a legend from Legends. Very weird one, Um, it was kind of a token commander, Uh, and then I I ended up pivoting to Rith the Awakener because uh, my friend and I bought the dual decks Phyrexia versus the Coalition that came out around then. I want to say that was 2009-ish. Um, I built a Vorosh the Hunter commander deck, that was kind of my first test, it was a Sultai deck. It was around one of those dragons that when you hit, just like Rith, you hit, you pay some mana, you get an effect. Vorosh's is just, you you put 6 plus 1 plus 1 counters on him, so you can close out the game fairly quickly, like, for a 6 mana creature. Uh, but that one, it was very experimental. A lot of limited draft chaff from, uh, the Zendikar pre-release. Uh, Heart Stabber Mosquito. I remember Needle Bite Trap, which I was very quickly like, oh, wow, draining someone for five is just not good when they have 40 life. That's not worth playing here. Um, but yeah, so good times <laughs> then I built a sharoom the hegemon artifact deck that was not really based around reanimator per se it was just kind of like I want to get a lot of artifacts do artifact stuff um, those were some of my earliest decks uh but yeah like it was kind of a thing that we that my friends and I played like we had all these other 60-card decks that we also mostly used. Like, EDH was just another format. Um, and we played we played formats like Star, which is a five-player multiplayer game where you can only attack... Uh, or you can attack anyone. It's technically free-for-all, but uh, you win when you're two opponents across from you on... Uh, on the field are eliminated, um, which is, kind of makes for an interesting political landscape, uh, and it's less, like, multiplayer, you're not trying to beat three other players, you just need to beat two, and other people are also trying to do that, so, Um, But also trying to protect them in some cases. Uh, We played a format called Respawn Magic, which was like a multiplayer, but when you died, you'd spawn back in. You'd take like a few fast turns, and then you'd you'd be back in the game. We played Emperor, which is like six or eight people, ideally. And you... um, You sit across... Like, emperors sit across from one another, and then you, uh, emperors can attack one another, but your lieutenants to your left and right, uh, can only attack the, the person next to them, so they can't, in fact, I think they even have, like, sphere, like a sphere of effect kind of area where, like, you play a board wipe, it only affects people in your range. so those were some formats we played, Plane Chase, Arch Enemy when that came out, and Commander was just kind of like one of those, you know, like kind of slid in with, with that, those other decks, those other formats, uh, the 60-card casual decks that we had also built. Um, yeah, <sighs> wild times, very different. Um, anyway this is less about the history of Commander and how it's changed, although that could be another podcast, but uh, just speaking of this interview Sheldon gave, um, he... One of the first questions the professor asked was why does Commander have a ban list? Uh, The answer Sheldon gives uh, is that it's important for Commander to be portable was basically, like, what he was saying. Like, it's it's important that even though it is a casual format and, like, a ban list should theoretically not be necessary under such a, a situation, um, it's important that you can, like, play with new people, go to your game store, play games with them. You don't need to have... Like, the Rule Zero conversation is kind of used as a crutch often to just excuse, like, weird and bad things that are bad about the Commander format. Like, oh, you think it's kind of silly that Planeswalkers can't be Commanders? Uh, you know, Rule Zero it. Just get your playgroup to agree. Or you think, uh, you know, all mono-color Commanders should have access to a, a bonus color of your choice? Yeah, Rule Zero. Just talk to your playgroup. And I think that works in a lot of cases because if people do have a, a consistent play group that they play with, and often like the things that you're trying to rule zero are not very strong. so it's kind of just like, yeah, you, you do that, you have fun. Uh, but like rule zero is not like the best kind of rule zero conversation you can have in an LGS or a local game store. What power level are we going for? Uh, which the kind of ironic thing is every like it's sort of a meme that everyone judges their deck to be a seven, which is they think very fair. Like, oh, it's it's good. It's definitely good, right? Seven is seven is good, but it's not broken. You know, I don't play any of that broken crap. Um, and, like, people's ideas of what counts as a 7 vary. Many people have tried to try to figure out, like, what if you were going to apply a scale to commander decks, you know, like, 1 being totally incoherent jake, no theme, random cards, basically, um, 10 being top tier CEDH. You know, people have, have come up with skills, not everyone uses them. Anyhow, um, so yeah, the ban list, and there's a lot of stuff on the ban list that really should not. Like, the ban list, they should, they should, like, clear everything off and then start again and just add things back if they need to, I think. Um, for another thing, it's very difficult to maintain a ban list for a format that doesn't have any, like, an official data. Like, you're not able to look at, uh, I guess Magic Online is programmed to support Commander. Arena is not. There are no, like, sanctioned Commander tournaments. So, like, you can't really tell what is in the metagame. The metagame is so subjective. So you can't say, like, oh, decks with, you know, uh, Hull Breacher are are winning, you know, at a, a you know, uh, 53% rate, like, we need to, to tamp that down. There's none of that data. Um, anyway, yeah, there are some there are some kind of some cards that were banned, like, more than 10 years ago that really do not deserve to be there. There's one card called Coalition Victory which costs, like, 3 and Wuberg, so, like, 7 mana, one of each color. Or, is it two in Uber? Yeah, it might be seven altogether. So, yeah, like, seven mana or eight mana or something. Sorcery. And it says if you control a creature of each color and a a land of each type, of each basic land type, I believe, you win the game. And it's like, okay, I you know, I guess somebody could figure out a way to, like for one thing that really relies on having a specific board presence, like happily ever after is a great analogy. This is a three mana enchantment that, that fires whenever you have the, the condition met. Um, or maybe at your upkeep. Uh, but it's an enchantment play it down early it cantrips when it comes into play so you draw a card it's not like a do-nothing card and I think it has the same requirement or similar it's like you have to have a creature of each color you have to have like a card in your card of each type in your graveyard or something like that or four types something like that which is you know not a high bar and this is like a junk Rare. like, nobody plays this card. Coalition Victory would not make a dent. A lot of people don't really care for alternate wincon cards. And a lot of them just don't really don't really see play, so nobody's writing articles about them. Nobody's, like, stuffing them in their decks. Remember, like, Coalition Victory is a five-color, has five mana symbols in it. Heavenly Ever After does not. It's just white symbols. So there's ways in a mono-white deck or, you know, a deck with white and any other colors you could, you could like make creatures into certain colors. But like in Coalition Victory, you, you are limited to playing that in five-color decks. And let me tell you, five-color decks have access to every card that's not on the ban list that's ever been printed in Magic. Um, you have other options. There are plenty of ways to win the game with that lack of restriction. Um, so yeah, coalition of victory doesn't deserve to be on the ban list. There are a lot of cards that are like not not that good anymore um, that should be taken off. There are some cards that really should be banned that are kind of you know warping the format. And what do you mean by that? It's like cards that are like I can't remember the the stupid card it's like a two mana goblin that makes a a treasure for each artifact and enchantment your opponent's control that routinely like that's an infinite combo outlet right there Um, yeah dockside extortionist that's it um, it's become a very expensive card because it's so in demand um, and yeah there's a case to ban that but so like Sheldon kind of argued against another thing there used to be a band as commander band list so like if something like the the old black braids was uh, causing problems because you know somebody could play it as their commander and have access to it from the start of the game um like yeah you you just ban it as the commander like it could still be okay in decks but the banned as commander list is no more and i think that was for magic online because magic online could only handle one banned list for a format um which is weird, I don't think it, Magic Online is a good reason to to continue that as it was. I guess it's a little bit more confusing, but it would be interesting to see what parts could be playable in decks uh, without Bandit's Commander. Although then again, now that we have, like, partners and stuff, that could get really hairy. So I don't know. Um, yeah, so next up. Uh yeah, he, he kind of cleaved to the idea of a band list for the idea that you could take your deck to an LGS and be able to play with other people all on the same same, you know, baseline understanding of what's allowed in for the format. Uh I think they need to reevaluate some of the cards on there for sure, But I guess that's okay. Um, next question. Uh, the prof asked about proxies, and Sheldon was basically like, "Yeah, proxies are fine. Like, that's up to your playgroup. Not going to make a statement on it or take a stand, but like, I'm not, I'm not going to say that you need to be playing with legal magic tournament legal magic cards. Which is interesting. Um, I think that's a, a good stance to take. That's fairly progressive. Uh, the next question was why, like, basically. Why is the Rules Committee still so small? It's at six people right now, and they just added two more. So up from four. And it was five people for the longest time. Um, relatedly, uh, the professor asked, Why does the Rules Committee, very bluntly asked, Why does the Rules Committee not reflect the diversity of people who play Commander? Um... The Rules Committee is, like, currently, currently, like, uh, five white men, cis men, and, uh, a white woman, um, and, uh, the, the one woman on the Rules Committee, Olivia Gobert-Hicks, uh, she seems very cool, I've, I've seen her in some, like, uh, gameplay videos, she seems very involved, Um, But Sheldon And I believe his heart was in the right place But it just shows his It's very revealing of his Bias and his point of view Um, But he was like Yeah, I really wanted the first woman On the uh, commander uh, Rules committee To be immensely qualified And it's sort of like I remember having this conversation During the 2016 election (laughs) Uh, it wasn't a good conversation then. Um, but it's, like, dude, okay. And, like, of course, we're not talking about, you know, diversity hires. We're not talking about affirmative action here. It's just, like, there's so many, like, content creators for Commander. Like, big, big names, players, people who, who players, like, like and are well-regarded. Who... Uh, Well-regarded in the community, who you know are people of color, um, who are trans, you know, like let's let's please open up the, the the decision-making process a little bit. If you are going to maintain your control over the commander format, then I guess that's that's the point, though. He wants to maintain control over the commander format he acts like because he, and this came up numerous times in the interview, he, Sheldon would say like, like basically he, he gets, you know, final say or not he personally, but the rules committee gets final say and they work towards a consensus. Um, and he also, you know, made some comment about like, Oh, like you obviously can't have like 20 people. Um, on the rules committee. And it's like, why not? 20 people is not a lot of people. Uh, you know, there are plenty of... Of, like, the the community has grown so much. There's plenty of well-regarded names, uh, who, who could make a great... Great members of the, uh, commander rules committee. What's even more ridiculous about the situation is that... Excuse me. Um... There's not just the Commander Rules Committee, but the Commander Advisory Group, the CAG, as it's often called. And the CAG is... Like, why are there two groups? The CAG is not... Their charter or, you know, purpose is not really any different from the Rules Committee. They just have less power. So it's kind of like a fielding ground for approving ground for new members of the rules committee, I get the impression. But it's not presented that way. Um and it's also not really like if that was the case, there would probably be things you could do. There are probably things you could do to um you know to like provide more of an on-ramp allow people to buff up their credentials um, it, it just doesn't make a ton of sense that that they're using this group that is basically like the rules committee writ small um, and also trying to like field new members out of there but not really actively because they don't want a ton of new members it's just very weird, and it's I do not like uh, the level of control that Sheldon and uh, his close associates seem to want to maintain over the Commander format. Like I like that it's that it's community driven. I like that it's not you know maintained solely by wizards. Uh, like obviously, Wiz- wizards prints new cards into it. Um, they work with the Commander Rules Committee on, you know, what kinds of things make sense or what, what does the format need to a degree, but it's also, like, I don't get the impression that, uh, the Rules Committee does a very good job of that, like, they see advanced proofs of cards before, but, like, you know, so he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, we, we are really careful to make sure that, you know, people... Um, that, like, the, the cards wizards are printing, uh, are good for the format. Um, and then the professor was like, oh, so, like, Hallbreacher, for example, that was a recent card that had to be banned, and it was printed in 2019, so, or 2020. <clears throat> so, like, what was the story with that? Um, and Sheldon was like, oh, well, we didn't see that one until, uh, you know, it was too late. And it's like, okay, then... So, I guess that's... And the professor even said it was pretty funny. I guess that's better than you saw it and you didn't see a problem with it. But at the same time, like, what good are you? The whole point was for you to see this and, you know, call them on it. Um, I don't know. So... Yeah. (laughs) Um, He, you know, made a lot of, like... uh, And another impression I get from Sheldon is that he is, like, constantly covering his ass. Like, he is very protective of the format, does not want to relinquish his control over it. He's also very protective of, you know, he like, came out with a statement after this whole, like, Magic 30th edition fiasco, uh, a week or two ago, where they announced, Wizards announced that they were gonna be printing like, uh, you know, basically official proxies of the beta set, but, uh, doing it in, uh, a product that's $1,000 for four booster packs. Um, and Sheldon's response was like, yeah, so if you want to play these in Commander, talk it over with your playgroup. Uh, you know, I I have no opinion on that, basically. So, he just tweeted that he had no opinion. Um, and, like, cool, was gonna do that anyway. Like, if by any fluke, I managed to end up with any of these cards and wanted to play them in a Commander deck, I would have talked to my playgroup and in the first place and I did not need your permission to do that Sheldon um I think Sheldon is one of those nerds who like like weasels around to not be caught in like an inconsistency but in doing so just creates all these like whack precedents that you know all these statements that don't make sense when taken together um that contradict And that's... that's not great. I... I just really wish that the commander format, like... That it could be adjudicated by a larger panel rather than being in the relatively tyrannical control of, like, six people. Um... One of whom is, you know, widely lauded as, like, the... the ruler of the format. Like... I don't know. I just, I don't think their decision-making process makes a lot of sense. He is very, um... There's a a word that I'm looking for that perfectly describes it. Um... God, I gotta think of it. Um... Equivocating. Equivocating. He is very equivocating. And... Another thing he said during the interview that just kind of boggled my mind was like, oh yeah, like uh, one reason we really like Olivia, and I forget who this other guy they added was, um, but one reason, you know, we really wanted them for the rules committee was that they're uh, very plugged into the the digital space and, and we're not so much. And I was like, okay, I mean, I guess I'm not, in a sense, like, I don't I don't use a ton of social media very actively. No, that's not true. Like, I mean, I, I don't post a lot, but I'm on social media. Like, I have... I'm I'm taking the temperature of the community on, on things like this, among other th- topics, you know? It just kind of boggled my mind. And it, he was like, oh, yeah, we have a Discord server. And that's it. And they have this website they made in, like, 2006 that looks so shitty, and this is the splash page for the format that's become... the the format that does not represent the majority of play, but is the number one most played format out of all of them. Um, I think this divide is just going to be exacerbated with time, I think... Uh, the divide between where players are at, what they play, how they like to play, the cards they use, and what the rules committee considers, you know to be good commander is like just widening. And I think they're, you know, it's fine like they have a lot of a lot of ideas about, um, you know, trying, they, the the rules committee really reminds me of like the National Institute of French or whatever it's called. That, um, is that official body that, uh, tries to manage the French language. And it's kind of like, yeah, you guys had a really good thing. Like this is a, a great, this was a great format when you started it. Um, it's maintained its status as a great format. The French language, beautiful language, I, you know, it hasn't, like, new loan words don't really change that, and it's kind of like, you're just fighting, you're, you're, like, commanding the tide to recede, you know, it's, it's just fighting nature, it's not a fight you'll win, like, language is malleable and ever-evolving, and Commander is evolving rapidly with, like, all the new products that we're getting, and, Um, I mean, the, the Warhammer 40k, uh, commander decks are out and they have, they boast a lot of like pretty powerful, interesting cards, but like, there's definitely some power in there. And I think, you know, next round of, uh, not secret layer universes beyond commander decks they announce is, you know, they're probably going to give the same treatment I would imagine. Maybe they'll do that in the Lord of the Rings set. We'll see. Um, so, anyway, I just think, you know, the... The format is fairly self-regulating, and that's given given Sheldon and company this sort of blank check to act like they're doing a great job regulating it. Um, I think... I think the equivocating nature of this interview was, like, a a (laughs) turnoff. But I joined that Discord, um, I I joined that Discord, so I'll be curious to, you know, obviously muted it right away, but I'll be curious to poke in there once in a great while and, and see what people are talking about. Um, but yeah, so anyway, that's we'll talk about uh the state of commander um as uh filtered through this Sheldon Menery interview um and yeah disappointed <laughs> but we knew that uh but yeah i mean the good news is commander is what you and your friends make of it uh first and foremost so you're always able to have those conversations not that there shouldn't be other people like lighting these conversations. Um, but ultimately the control is with us. So that's, I guess, a hopeful note. But anyway, I am now at my destination. Um, so I am going to wrap up, uh, this episode. Uh, thank you guys for hanging through to the end. Um, and we'll see you back next time for another episode of Let Me Explain You a Thing. Bye-bye.